BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Sif Heider, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life, or starting a successful business, or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Dream Bigger podcast. I have quite the show for you today, you guys. This is a juicy one. We go all over the place. We go deep into nutrition, nutrition myths, foods for your brain health, and it, it's just such a good episode. And it is, of course, with none other than Max Lugavere, who, if you're not familiar with his work, he is a nutrition expert. He is a real nerd around health and wellness, and he is an author. And I actually read his book, Genius Foods, I think the year that it came out, and I have just always loved his work. Funny story about how I got Max on the podcast. So a few weeks ago, I was at Equinox, and I wanted to use the um, hyperextension machine. They just have one at Equinox. So I go to the machine, and it's obviously like it's being used by none other than Max. And I couldn't see that it was him from a distance because I have bad eyes and I wasn't wearing contacts or glasses or anything. But I go up to him and I, all I wanted to do was like use the the machine. And I went to ask if I could work in with him and I realized it was Max. So obviously I had to accost him and be like, you have to come on my podcast. And he was kind enough to agree. So, you know, proof that even if it's a little creepy, Sometimes it pays off to ask. So Max was super sweet. He came on the pod and, you know, shared so much really great knowledge, which I'm so excited to bring you guys with today's show. And I think you're going to walk away with so much good information, so much knowledge. And, you know, I, I just think that it's good knowledge to have around different ideologies that maybe you've been taught around food. It's just interesting to hear another perspective. So he is just full of great information. And I think you guys will really like this episode. So I'm super excited to bring it to you. Before we start the show, this week's hot tip is actually something I wish I could gatekeep, okay? It is Pelicure Spa, which is a, I don't even know, a haven here in LA. So if you come to LA, you got to go here, okay? I was 
originally introduced to Palacure by my friend Lauren from the Skinny Confidential. I know she's talked about it loads on stories and um, social. Anyway, so I went for a Korean scrub. Anna, who's the founder, is a friend and she's just wonderful. This Korean scrub, you guys, if you've not had a Korean scrub, it does wonders. Like literally all the dead skin comes off in clumps. It is the most incredible experience. You just lay there, you're scrubbed head to toe, you come out, your skin is as soft as a baby's butt. It's amazing. Um, and what Pelicure has done really well is they've kind of like added this whole luxury element. You have your entire own room where you're getting scrubbed. I am obsessed with their facials too. Haley does my facials. She is She's like God's gift to this world, honestly. Incredible. So highly, highly recommend you go to Pelicure. If you go there, Array is obviously on shelves too. So go check us out. And honestly, the space is incredible. The founder, Anna, is amazing. The whole team is amazing. I can't say enough good things about it. So if you are in LA, please go to them and um, tell your friends because I wish I could keep it a secret, but everyone needs better skin. Okay, this week's review comes to us from Britta Checkets. And she says, from a fellow entrepreneur, this is by far my favorite podcast because it not only provides inspiration, but I've taken actual notes from Sif and her guests on marketing tips, growing sales, etc. I own a smaller jewelry business, Harper Jewelry, and really appreciate how open her and her guests are about the ins and outs of growing a company. Five stars. Well, first and foremost, shout out to Harper Jewelry. If you haven't heard of the brand, go check them out. I definitely will. But Britta, thank you so much for leaving this review. I'm so happy that the show brings you value and that, you know, it's like you've learned things from it. It really does mean the world. Guys, if you have two seconds and want to support the show, please take a minute to leave me a review and rate the show. All you have to do is open the Apple podcast app, scroll to the bottom where it says rate and review the show. If you feel like I've earned it, then please leave me a five star rating and let me know what you love about the show in the review section. Tell me your favorite topic, your favorite guests, guests you want to see. Listen, I look into that shit, okay? I bring on guests that you guys specifically request. So if you have a guest request, please send it to me. It makes my life so much better, so much easier because I get to understand what you guys are really looking to hear. So yes, I would really appreciate that. And with that, let's welcome Max Lugavere to the Dream Bigger podcast. The first question I have is the link between food and cognitive decline, because I know that that's kind of like how you really got into this whole world, right? So how can we use food to ensure longevity? And I know this is a packed question. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great place to start. I mean, I guess the reason I just to give your audience a bit of a like a bit of context, mm -hmm. the reason why I got interested in this was because my mom had a, a rare form of dementia that she developed early on. She was about 58 at the time. And I didn't go through medical school. I didn't study, you know, like nutrition science as a PhD track. I became interested. I had had a lifelong passion for fitness and nutrition. And I, I, I suppose I had a latent aptitude for understanding and communicating science, but I um, really decided to step my foot forward and, and, and help teach people publicly when my mom got sick. And I realized that this is a condition, dementia, that often begins in the brain decades before the first symptom of memory loss. Mm -hmm. And this is true for most everything. Yeah, everything. Like most, I can't think of a single chronic condition that begins like 
overnight. Yeah, you know, no, the, it's like it's been kind of like hanging out there for a long time and maybe there's been like little symptoms, but you just kind of like let it go yeah. until like something serious happens. Yeah, but most people when they show up to the neurologist or the cardiologist and they get that diagnosis, they're like, why me? Well, you had years, if not decades of runway mm. to right the ship. And now granted, when it comes to the brain, you know, there are many more unanswered questions and there are answered questions, but we now are at a point, I think, in the medical literature where we do have a semblance of a roadmap in terms of how we might live, how we might eat to minimize our risk for Alzheimer's disease, which is the most common form of dementia, and potentially even other dementias as well. I mean, my mom had a form of dementia called Lewy body dementia, which is akin to both to having both Alzheimer's and Parkinson's at the same time. So it, it shares its pathology, I think, with like, there's a little bit of Alzheimer's going on, there's a little bit of Parkinson's going on, but when it comes to what's good for the brain, we do have some sort of salient pearls that we might adopt if if brain health is something that that matters to us, and it should matter to all of us because it all of us, should, yeah. yeah, are at risk. Like whether or not you carry a genetic predisposition for the condition, everybody is at risk. If you have a brain, you are at risk of developing cognitive decline today, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So it's important to lay out that there are different what are called modifiable risk factors. And this is according to a 2020 uh, paper published in The Lancet that found that 40% of Alzheimer's cases are potentially attributable to these so-called modifiable mm -hmm. risk factors or dementia more broadly, all-cause dementia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's a conservative estimate, honestly, 40%. But basically what this paper published was that whether it's obesity, diabetes, hypertension, smoking, brain injury, excessive alcohol consumption, hearing impairment, social disconnect, depression. These are all conditions that essentially, uh, or risk factors that fall under our control. Hence the term modifiable, right? We have non-modifiable risk factors, risk, risk factors that we can't change. For example, gender. Women are at twofold the risk mm -hmm. as compared to men. Unfortunately, we have our age, right? Age is still a, a major risk factor. And then we have our genes. But genes are actually, we can modify the expression of our genes. If you're genetically at risk for Alzheimer's disease here in the United States, you might move to a less industrialized part of the world and see that risk disappear. So what's the what's the term for it? Is it I forget that like you're not kind of you're not doomed because of your genes. It's kind of you can change your environment and certain factors to kind of help you kind of go around certain Yeah, things. like... Uh, is it epigenetics? Epigenetics, yeah. yeah. Basically, the, the epigenome is thought to be this sort of, this instruction instructional layer that sits atop the genome. Epi means like above. So mm -hmm. it's actually like the epigenome is like this layer of instructions that sit above the genome that uh -huh. regulate its expression. So you can't change your genes yet, unfortunately, but you can change the way that your genes express themselves. And yeah. so like the best way to describe it, how epigenetics kind of works that I've heard is that your diet, that your genes load the gun, but your it's your diet and your lifestyle that pull the trigger. I've heard that as well. It's actually yeah. like a genius way of explaining it. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Another way to, to think about it is like, you know, the key to, is to kind of visualize like the keys on a piano, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We all have like the full, we all have like a full keyboard in our, in our genome. We all have the notes that if played in the right order will produce Alzheimer's disease. But yeah. it's how you live and the foods that you eat potentially and, and, the, and the various things that you're exposed to over the course of your life that will determine whether or not those notes get played. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So to me, that's a very empowering message. And I happen to be a huge nutrition nerd. Like that's like my, my passion. And so when it comes to nutrition, you know, you have 
basically there are at least three areas where you have a ton of control. You can make sure that you're not obese. You can make sure that you're not type 2 diabetic or anywhere near that, that arena. And you can make sure that you don't have hypertension. Our diets also can influence to some degree our you know, whether or not we are chronically depressed, which is something that I talk a lot about nutritional psychiatry. So that's another whole other area, but generally like our diets influence our metabolic health, which is super important, influence the amount of fat that we're carrying around on us, which, you know, as I mentioned, obesity is, is one of these risk factors with our diets. We're eating literally the building blocks that our brains, you know, use to create new brain cells. Well, this is what's such an important factor of what you discuss on the regular is that I don't think the average person realizes that food is so much larger than kind of how it makes you look. Yeah. You know, it really does. I mean, it, it 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 determines the longevity factor, you know, and how you feel in your older years, how you're battling disease or not, yeah. you know, so yeah. it, it it's like it goes beyond this vanity metric, which people think of, you know? Yeah. I mean, food, it's so powerful. Like it can so help powerful. you look better naked. Like, I mean, I eat in a way when I when I'm when I'm making choices, right, I'm cognizant of the fact that I want to look good. I want to feel course. good. I want to perform well. But I also want to have mental energy, right? I want to have cognitive clarity. I want to age well. And so, yeah, I mean, food definitely has the power to influence all of those different facets of, our, of what it means to live healthily today. All right, story time. I am not the most DIY person, but in 2019, I decided I was going to repaint my bedroom in Toronto. To say the process of buying paint was daunting is an understatement. I went to the store. I brought home some swatches. Then I went back, asked them to mix colors. Then I asked them to swatch those colors, brought it back to make sure that it was the right one. It took forever. The amount of time it took, in fact, made me want to never paint a room again. God bless the souls who have painted entire houses. Holy crap, how'd you guys do it? Enter Claire, an innovative new e-commerce paint startup. Claire takes the hassle out of paint shopping with a streamlined selection of designer curated colors, peel and stick paint swatches, and premium paint and supplies delivered straight to your door. My God, I could have used this in 2019, you guys. It was founded by a designer named Nicole Gibbons who saw the traditional paint shopping experience was outdated. So she decided to create a better brand and a whole new experience that's easier, faster, and more inspiring. Something I found so overwhelming about my paint picking experience was how many colors there were. I just had severe decision fatigue. I'm not someone who does well when 600 different options are handed to me and I'm not entirely sure what will look good. And Claire addresses that by focusing on fewer, better colors expertly curated through an interior designer's lens. They also have their peel and stick paint swatches, which you can essentially stick onto your wall to figure out what works best for your space. The brand also offers paint formulations that are zero VOC, Green Guard Gold certified for better indoor air quality and meets the most stringent chemical emission standards. Clara is also formulated without any toxic air contaminants, hazardous air pollutants, or EPA chemicals of concern. So it's paint you can actually feel really good about using in your home. Claire is offering you guys a special discount. Visit claire.com slash dream bigger to get started and you will receive $5 off your first gallon of paint. That's www.claire.com slash dream bigger for $5 off. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Babe Original for longer looking lashes in as little as six weeks. So let me tell you about my lashes. 
they have always been short and straight. But for a few years, I got lash extensions, which made everything worse. And since those lash extensions, my lashes never really bounced back. So obviously, I was looking for solutions and I'd heard really good things about lash serums. But I was kind of a skeptic. I didn't know if anything would really work, especially on lashes as short as mine. But I was like, okay, I'll give Babe Original Essential Serum a try. I am now a believer, okay? I have done a 180. I'm almost 10 weeks in and I am so happy with my results. Every time I wear mascara, my eyelashes are out of control. Someone actually complimented me on my long lashes the other day and I could not believe that I was that girl, okay? I have always been the one to compliment other women and ask them about how their lashes got so long. And it was so cool to be on the receiving end of that compliment. You guys, it made my whole life, I'm telling you. One thing I want to bring up is the fact that I was actually pretty nervous to try a lash serum because I had friends who'd used other lash serums and they'd complained about it stinging their eyes. Thankfully, this was absolutely not the case with essential serum. So if you are scared or you know nervous to use a lash serum for that reason, don't be because I have had an amazing experience. Babe is so confident that you're going to love your results that they have a 90-day satisfaction guarantee. Go to babeoriginal.com and use the code DREAMBIGGER at checkout to save 15% off your order. Enjoy! Hey guys, it's me, Chriselle Lim, co-founder and CMO of Bumo. As a busy working parent myself, I felt like there was a lack of options for parents and I personally needed more support. So that's what we're doing here on Being Bumo. We're here to make your life easier, a little less stressful, and help you navigate through this complex thing called parenting. So subscribe now to Being Bumo at applepodcast.com slash beingbumo or wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh, gotta go. See you guys soon. So can you actually go into some of the myths that people hear around animal products, such as, for example, let's start with red meat, because I know that that is one that I don't think most people realize how much it has to offer. It's kind of been fed to us as, oh, like, it's so bad. And, you know, there's all of these like propaganda like documentaries as well, which people don't realize that there's like a lot of propaganda and they don't realize like maybe how they should be looking at beef consumption, whether it's like grass fed, grass finished, there's regenerative farming. So if you can get into that piece a little bit, I think it would be so helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So red meat, I mean, a lot of people are afraid of the saturated fat that it contains, the the cholesterol that it contains. Mm-hmm. For one, all fat cont- all natural fat containing foods contain some proportion of saturated fat, and of unsaturated fat. And mm-hmm. within the unsaturated fats, you have polyunsaturated fats or PUFAs, and then you have your monounsaturated fats or MUFAs. And when you actually look at the fat composition, the fatty acid composition of beef, it's not, the majority of it is not saturated fat. In fact, dairy has uh, proportionally the highest percentage of saturated fat of any natural fat containing product. Beef is about 50% monounsaturated fat, which is the type of fat found in olive oil and avocado oil. And then you get some proportion of saturated fat as well as the unsaturated fats. Now, even among saturated fats, which again is like the fatty acid category that people tend to be afraid of, a fat is not a fat. So Mm -hmm. there are some saturated fats that will raise your cholesterol, right? And we can talk about whether or not that's a, a bad or good thing or a neutral thing. And then there's some saturated fats that don't. So for example... Grass-fed beef has a higher proportion among its saturated fat constituents of a fatty acid called stearic acid, 
which is completely neutral from the standpoint of cardiovascular health and probably, and probably in fact, uh, beneficial. Mm -hmm. They've shown that it actually can boost mitochondrial function. So what a cow eats matters. And when you actually look at, you know, outcomes, which I think is the most important thing, there was a paper that came out and it was met with fierce opposition from, uh, you know, researchers who are deep in the pockets of the plant-based food industry. But it found that there's really no good evidence when looking at randomized control trials to say that red meat has any, even processed red meat, has any negative impact on health outcomes. And their recommendations, was that the paper was called Nutrarex, actually said that there's no, there's no reason that people should moderate their consumption of red meat or eat any less than they're currently eating. Mm -hmm. There is no evidence. There was a 2021 meta-analysis that found no evidence that red meat is inflammatory. Certain saturated fats will raise your cholesterol, but like, you know, there are benefits that you're getting from re eating red meat as well. As you know, I mean, you were anemic, right? Anemia affects 25% of the global population and half of those cases are due to iron deficiency. Yep. Red meat is like the most bioavailable source of, of iron, heme iron, right? It's a wonderful source of creatine, which is a, helps with brain energy metabolism. It's, you know, we mentioned iron, protein. It's like a pristine source of dietary protein, vitamin E. It's a pretty small, but I mean, you get some omega-3s from mm -hmm. it. It's not like a major omega-3 source, but then you get all these other like nutrients that aren't necessary, necessarily essential, but are thought to benefit human health, like taurine, creatine, uh, I mentioned creatine, carnitine, carnosine. So yeah, I mean, I think it's like a uh, health food and it's some, it's a food that we've had, that we've evolved, we've co-evolved with. Now the question is like, should we be eating fatty meat all the time? I think that there's a good argument to be made for eating leaner red mm -hmm. meat. You know, I'm not one of these like guys that you see like in the paleo community, for example, or the keto community that's just like fatty cuts of meat all the time. Although I do enjoy a ribeye, like I think that's a super tasty dinner, you mm -hmm. know, for me oftentimes. But you know, a cow is like a human invention. Like we created cows and cows are fattier than, you know, any of its predecessors, like bison, for example. Bison is much leaner. Uh, wild game is super lean. So I think that there's an argument to be made for like leaner red meat, not super lean, but mm -hmm. again, I think it's a health food. It's loaded with nutrients. It's one of the most nutrient dense foods that we have. So how can then someone just go and ensure that they're buying the highest quality red meat? Like what are you looking for when you're at the grocery store? I try to buy hundred percent grass fed, grass finished. That's going to be the best for the environment. And it's also going to be the best for you. But here's the thing, like even factory farm meat is, is like good for you. Uh -huh. It's like even factory farm meat is a great source of protein. So you would rather basically eat factory farmed meat versus be vegan? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And the thing is, you can opt for, when it comes to the health, healthiness of it, you can, again, opt for leaner because what mm -hmm. a cow eats dictates primarily what's in its fat. Yeah. The protein is pristine and it's not going to be, it's not going to change much based on what oh, the cow eats. Oh, that is really interesting. I didn't yeah. realize that. Wow. Yeah. But it's the fat composition. Uh -huh. So like, as I mentioned with grass-fed beef, you're going to get a higher proportion of grass-fed, grass-finished beef, you're gonna get a higher proportion of stearic acid, you're gonna get lower overall fat, so it's gonna be a leaner animal. Grass-fed, grass-finished beef has five times the omega-3s, it's got three times the vitamin E. So it's definitely better for you, better for the planet to go for the grass-fed, grass-finished, but if you were to buy like leaner, a leaner cut of you know meat from a supermarket, if you didn't have access or you couldn't afford grass-fed beef, mm -hmm and it wasn't grass-fed, grass-finished, wasn't the most pristine source of beef, I still think that's a better option for dinner for most people than like boxed mac and cheese. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like, yep. So we can't be like too, I think, exclusionary in, our, in the recommendations that we make. So what about people who have been taught that they can get the same protein content from a plant-based diet versus 
a diet that also includes animal products. Like, is that, can you, can you bust that myth, quote unquote? Yeah. Well, animal protein is definitely higher quality. Yep. So there's no debating that. It's got a higher proportion of essential amino acids. It's got a higher proportion of branched chain amino acids like leucine, which is yeah, really I was important. Say, it's so important. Yeah, for stimulating muscle protein synthesis. You really can't beat the digestibility of animal protein. There are a number of different, like, there are two primary scoring methods that are used to determine the digestibility of protein. There's the uh, digestible, indispensable amino acid scoring system. And then there's the protein digestibility corrected amino acid scoring system. As, and they all, they both, no matter where you look, animal protein is at the top. Soy is maybe like up there somewhat, you know. How do you feel about the hormonal implications of soy? Do you feel like it's enough to have a conversation around it? You know, it's unclear. It doesn't yeah. seem that it's, it doesn't seem like it's as bad as people think it is. But there yeah. was a study that found that when you gave men uh, either soy or whey protein, post-workout soy it was the soy that led to a blunted uh testosterone really um, effect we don't know i think we we don't know how that plays out over the long term whether or not that has any meaningful impact on body mm -hmm. composition or anything like that but mm -hmm. it, it's definitely like it's not hormonally inert right what the consequences of, of chronic soy consumption you know what that might uh lead to i don't think we know so, you know, for me, I don't consume any real, I, you know, I don't consume a lot of soy. I, I consume like soy sauce with sushi. Yeah. That's pretty much it. And when I do, I try to make sure that the soy that I'm consuming is organic. But it's, but yeah, animal protein is like, for protein, animal protein is, is by far like the best, the best option. Now, when it comes to the, the quality of a protein, you know, it's not that's not controversial mm -hmm. but protein quality matters mostly for people that are eating low protein diets so vegans and vegetarians that are consuming low protein diets they the fact that they're eating primarily or exclusively uh, plant protein that does matter because it's a lower quality protein mm -hmm. when you're eating a sufficient amount of protein the protein quality doesn't really matter as much because you're getting you know you're just getting like amino acids from everywhere so that's why i think in the context of omnivory, it doesn't really matter so much where you're getting your protein from. But if you're eating a lower protein diet, so if you're vegan vegetarian eating a lower protein diet, you really ought to be concerned about where your protein is coming from. And also if you're elderly, yeah. you know, like if you're an if you're an older person, people in you know their advanced years tend not to eat a ton of protein. And so it really becomes important, like protein quality, again, making sure that you're that you're opting primarily for animal protein. So then if someone is more plant-based and yeah. they want to stay away from animal products, what are some like really like, what's the highest quality of protein that you would recommend to someone? Well, I would say soy is pretty high quality, at uh -huh. least in terms of the digestibility and the, and the leucine content. Actually, corn protein, we might see this on the market in a few years. And I don't know, you know, what the health outcomes are going to be you know, somebody who eats a lot of corn protein, but I think corn has the highest proportion of leucine of any plant. Really? Yeah. But just imagine like how processed that's going to have to be. So that's not something that I'm probably going <laughs> to consume. But if you actually look like into the literature, corn has like the highest proportion of leucine. It's kind of weird. But yeah, it's just not a commonly consumed source of protein. But yeah, I think soy is very high quality. You want to go for organic because it's one of these like crops that just uh, is like so sprayed. Sprayed, yeah. And uh, and protein powders. I mean, most vegans like do really well with protein powder. I'm concerned about plant-based protein powders because of they tend to harbor heavy metals. How much they harbor and whether or not. Wait, wait, not... wait. We got to We got to zoom in on that a yeah. little bit. What the hell do you mean? So plant-based protein, they're just so processed. 
And plants okay. suck up, you know, their plants are a great source of minerals, but they mm -hmm. also suck up whatever other metals are in the soil, right, that they're being grown in. And so it's pretty uh, easy to find literature that shows that plant protein powders contain heavy metals. Like they contain, you know, uh, I'm forgetting exactly which ones, maybe cadmium, arsenic, lead. I mean, we know that brown rice is a, is a big uh, arsenic source. So if your protein powder has brown rice protein, good chances there's, there's arsenic. Um, Holy crap. That, I did yeah. not know that. That's yeah. fucking wild. No, it's significant. You don't get that in whey protein. Whey protein is a very clean protein. So you like whey protein. Then. I like whey protein. Okay. Yeah. Can you tell me your favorite brand? Well, I don't. Okay. So I don't have any brand like affiliations. So just to put that. No, out there, I know. But, but like, um, just curious. Yeah. I buy. What am I currently using? I'm currently using uh, like a garden of life whey. It's like whey, grass fed whey, mm -hmm. vanilla flavored. Um, but I also really like Keon makes a whey protein, whey protein that's really good. Um, I was using Muscle Feast for a while. That sounds so broy. Yeah, it's so broy. Called <laughs> oh, Muscle Feast. I know it's uh, it's just whey protein, and it's like there's no artificial sweeteners or anything like that. So, so then, how do you feel about pea protein, also in the same heavy metal category as well? You would say? Yeah, I would just be like cautious. Like mm -hmm. occasionally, now and then, like one of those protein powders, I think is totally fine. The dose makes the poison with these things, yeah. right? So, if it's the kind of thing like I do whey protein every single day for the most part, sometimes multiple times a day. I'm here, mm -hmm. I'm having like multiple scoops. So if I were using like a plant-based protein with that frequency, then I would be like pretty concerned about it. Since we are already on this topic of like various proteins, apparently this is where this conversation is going. I love it. I saw that post that you did about salmon, mm -hmm. which I thought was, by the way, really good. And anyone who doesn't follow Max, like go look at that post that he did. But can you explain the different kinds of salmon and what someone should be looking for when they're buying salmon? Yeah. I mean, salmon, that's such a good question. It's such a, salmon's such a healthy food. And, mm -hmm. and just, you know, just so people know, fish consumption, we all love to hate on fish, right? It contains microplastics. Our oceans are incredibly polluted. And, you know, we hear stories of like overfishing. It's, fish is still one of the healthiest foods that you can eat. Mm -hmm. It's great for your brain. When it comes to the brain, fish is medicine. It's great for mental health. And salmon is a, it's a wonderful food and even farm raised salmon. It's not ideal. It's in fact, far from it, but it's still, again, I like to compare it to like some of these like dinners that like, I know that people are getting, you know, like the ultra processed, like boxed mac and cheese, like that I grew up eating. Like that's like, that was like my dinner many nights of the week as a, mm -hmm. as a kid, even farm raised salmon is gonna be a better option for dinner than that. So when it comes to the different types that you'll see in your, in your average supermarket, you get Atlantic salmon, which is generally going to be farmed because it's now actually, I believe, illegal to fish in the Atlantic for salmon. And then there are three other types. You've got your king salmon. Uh, Coho, I think is the other one. Coho and then sockeye. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all beneficial. They're all amazing, an amazing source of omega-3 fatty acids. You also get this really powerful antioxidant called astaxanthin in salmon, which is what's responsible for its like the characteristic red color. Sockeye salmon is really good. It's the most sort of like gamey. Like, I don't know, I would compare it to like, it's like the grass-fed beef of salmon. It's like a stronger flavor. You know, I don't know if it's for everybody, but- uh, What's the salmon that you were buying at the grocery store? I mean, I like, I like sockeye. Sockeye is great. And when I, you know, when I eat out in restaurants, I'm eating generally like whatever they have, which is like- It's probably farmed. It's probably farmed Atlantic salmon. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely like, eat that, I think, uh, 
you know, many, many times a month because I love sushi and I love, you know, I, I go out to eat. And when I cook at home, I tend to cook steaks and things like that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, sockeye salmon, I think is great. They have, now you can buy it frozen at like Costco. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a butcher box member. So like I, you know, I get sometimes love like, butcher box. yeah, like bags so of it, frozen sockeye salmon. So it's just a little bit more dense and a little bit like more gamey, but it's like really tasty, mm-hmm. super tasty, super, super healthy. And, and generally I think, I'm pretty sure it's always going to be wild if you find sockeye salmon. What are some other health myths that you want to bust? Like what like really bugs you? Man, you know, I, there's, there's a lot out there, but I think like, you know, the whole like, I mean, I guess like people know at this point, like I'm not a fan of the push towards like these plant-based fake foods, whether it's like the Beyond Burger or the Just Egg, but I guess like, you know, I'm not a fan of dietary dogmatism. You see that all the time within the nutrition space, like you have to be either on a keto diet or a vegan diet, or you have to intermittent fast uh, to reach whatever your goals happen to be. And I think one of the things that I've learned over the years of being so deeply immersed in this field is that personal preference really does reign supreme. Like you've got to find something that is going to, that's going to work, right. And be sustainable for you. And I don't mean sustainable, like I'm happy eating all the junk food that I'm currently eating. Like it's got to work for you both in terms of like being good for your soul, but also your body. And so for me, I think, yeah, like there are so many ways like up the mountain that ultimately, you know, rather than try some kind of like fad fringe diet, it's really, I think, crucial to experiment, to iterate and ultimately to find something that you can stick to. I actually love that you talk about this because it's such a conversation now around fitness, right? Because I remember when I was younger, it was like, you have to run. You have to run to be fit. And that is really like the only thing. And I, I, I was like, what, am I just like going to be unfit for the rest of my life because I fucking hate this? Or like, I'm just going to go like run on the treadmill and I'm just going to hate my life for however long I'm doing it for. And it wasn't until I, you know, got a little older and started experimenting with different forms of movement that I found ones that I really enjoyed. And that is the only thing that led to like sustainable and a really good relationship with fitness and my body, you know, whereas I think that this is less talked about from the nutrition standpoint where, you know, I... (laughs) I feel like people don't necessarily think of it as like good for their soul as well, you know? Yeah, no, you're super right. And when it comes to like finding a workout that works for you, yeah, you got to find, you got to do something that like that, that gets you excited, right? Like to go to the gym. And I know some people out there are listening to this and they're like, nothing makes me excited to go to the gym. That's not true. They've just like not found the right thing. You haven't found the thing. Yeah, Yeah, you haven't found the thing. (laughs) And, and I, I do think that there is some value in pushing yourself and also to kind of lower, lower the, the bar and to reduce the friction. Like for example, I really related to what you said about like hating running. I generally hate running. It's like I have been lifting weights for as long as I can remember. I've been like going to the gym. My favorite thing to do is to have my headphones in or even without headphones and just like kind of zone out and lift weights. I love it. Well, like, see, I mean, at least you knew from a young age that that was an option. Like I remember in high school, it was like, don't go near the weights. And I fucking love weightlifting yeah, now. Yeah, of course, <laughs> and I love that. More, women, more girls need to work out and lift weights. It's super important. But Recently, I've been trying to get like at least some to integrate running to to like somewhat more like into my into my workout routine. And wait, why? Well, because I think cardio because, you know, you can get a cardio workout from your weight training workout. There's no doubt about Mm -hmm. that. But, you know, I think like the research when it comes to like deliberate uh, sustained cardiovascular exercise it's really it's it's hard to ignore that it does seem to benefit you in many different ways whether it's like from a brain health standpoint so something sustained 
mm-hmm. you know. So you wouldn't put something like boxing in that category? Oh, no, example? I would absolutely put boxing. Yeah, because yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. I just don't like running. <laughs> yes. Boxing is pretty intense, though. Yeah. Boxing is pretty intense. So like, but it's I'm, so fun. Yeah, it's so fun. I love boxing. I love boxing. Boxing's great. So yeah, that's a good option. That's a great option. I was boxing for a while with a, with a private trainer, and then I stopped doing that a couple months ago. And so I found that my, I was like, my cardio, my exposure to like cardiovascular exercise was like getting kind of, I was like just, you know, it had become like somewhat reduced. Mm-hmm. And so what I've done was I tried to set this like goal for myself of running a mile, just a mile, two or three times a week. You know, when you get better at something. So like what I find is that cardio, it's like you get better pretty quickly, especially mm-hmm. if yeah, like- it's true. Your baseline is like nothing. Like I wasn't running before, and uh, and like at first when I first got on the treadmill, running a mile was like pretty difficult. Like it's not fun, and I get bored really easily. My mind wanders, and I want to get off that thing as soon, almost as soon as I step on it. But you get better really quick at it, and then I think there's this tendency when you get good at something, you want to do it. You think that you should set like these new goals for yourself, but I actually was really careful to not let myself fall into that trap because what happens is you run a mile, right? And then next week you can run a mile and a quarter. And the week after that, and the week after that, you can run a mile and a half. And then ultimately you're able to run two miles. And then you feel like you're not have, you might as well not work out if you can't run those two miles. And so what that does, it it continually increases Mm. the bar for yourself Mm -hmm. and it makes it easier to say, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not going to do it at all. If I have to run two miles or or whatever that is. So what I've tried to do for myself is I say, okay, even though my cardio like endurance is getting better. I'm just going to run a mile. Like maybe some days I'll be able to run if I really want to push it. I'm not going to say no to my body, right? I'm going to let myself run a mile and a half. But the bar for me is just a mile, just a mile three times a week. And I've been keeping it up actually. I've been doing it for the past like two months and it's been really like beneficial for me. I find myself like feeling better in my body. Like my joints actually feel pretty good. I actually like that you bring up this like concept of just that mile because I don't know if you've read the book, The Artist's Way. Have you heard of it? Yeah. So that book, it talks about journaling and it's three pages, no matter what. It doesn't matter if you want to do more and it doesn't matter if you want to do less. You just do the three pages. Interesting, yeah. And it's like the same kind of concept where like that's kind of what makes sure that it stays a habit. Whereas like, say like, then you get to the 10 pages one day and then you're like, well, I have to do 11 tomorrow. Right. <laughs> Who has time for that? You right, know? exactly. Because so, eventually you're going to say, oh, fuck it. And then you then you fall off the wagon and then, you know, you succumb to inertia, right? And yeah. then you stop doing it. And the thing is, you want to do something that you can sustain, that you can continue doing, right? I also want to talk to you about alcohol. Okay. Now, this is a hot topic. It is. And as someone who's in the health and wellness space, do you drink how often? And like, if someone is drinking, can they do things before and after drinking? Like, what can they drink? Any recommendations there? Yeah, I do. I, I drink like very seldom, but I'm not dogmatic about it. I do drink occasionally, like, you know, handful of times a month, like definitely not on a on a weekly basis. But I, I, I want to be able to enjoy, like if somebody tells me that this is an incredible glass of wine, mm-hmm. you know, or bottle of wine, I want to be able to taste it. Like, mm-hmm and have a glass and enjoy it, right? Mm-hmm. And not feel guilt about it or anything like that. The truth is though that alcohol, ethanol, which is what, you know, which is what gives us the buzz, which is what we're seeking when we have a drink, is a neurotoxin. And it's associated with, you know, certain cancers and things like that. So I don't think that it's it's good for you uh, necessarily. I think the thinking used to be that moderate drinking, which was one to two glasses a night for men, one per night for women, was, uh, 
was associated with health benefits, but I think that that I think ultimately it's that it's a it's a person's ability to be to be moderate that's associated with better health, particularly with with something like alcohol. There was a study that found that even among moderate drinkers, people that drank moderately, so these are people that don't have al- problems with alcohol, that there was about three times the hippocampal atrophy, so atrophy in the memory processing center of the brain, compared to alcohol abstainers. So, you know, it's something that I think, and again, moderation, just to define that, one to two, it's like drink a drink at least every night, mm-hmm. which is like, even that to me sounds like way too yeah, much. Yeah, that's like, I, I would never. Yeah, right? So... So I, th- I do think that, there's, that there is a point where you can enjoy alcohol and if you don't let it affect your sleep and you, and you hydrate and it doesn't you know, lead to unhealthy food choices, I, th- I think that there's probably a level that you can drink that probably has no uh, downside mm-hmm. to you. But then also, you know, alcohol is a means for people to de-stress. It mm-hmm. is a social lubricant, right? Like it, it does break the ice like when you're going out on those initial dates with somebody. So I do think that there's like... There are non-trivial benefits to drinking alcohol, but the ethanol itself is definitely not healthy. So, uh, so that's why you know if you don't currently drink, there's absolutely no reason to start. <laughs> yeah. Well, if someone is drinking, like, is there a specific kind of alcohol that is better than others? How do you kind of put it into a scale? So, alcohol, clear alcohols, generally are thought to be healthier. They have a lower concentration of what are called congeners, which are the impurities in colored alcohol that are thought to produce hangovers and things like that. I'm very glad that tequila is my drink of choice. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's with no hangovers. <laughs> yeah, it's mine too. I like a good a good like tequila blanco. Yeah. And I, I like the occasional wine as well. Yeah. So yeah, I would go for like a clear spirit. I avoid beer. Beer is super high in purines or purines. I forget how, how it's pronounced, but basically like can uh, increase levels of uric acid, which isn't good. It's like drinking liquid bread. Yeah, I was going to say. It's yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't really like it very much at all. So. Yeah, well, it's just like a one-two punch to the gut, too, yeah. because it's got gluten in it, and it's got this toxic alcohol in it. So it's just not, it's no bueno. But uh, these clear spirits, I think, are, are fine. Wine, I think, is fine. You want to make sure that you're hydrating in between each drink. Yeah, of course. My general strategy is like whether I'm having one drink or two drinks or even three drinks, like I'm trying to sober up before I go to sleep. That's generally it. That's actually a really important point because sometimes people drink and then they're, you know, they get drowsy and they go to sleep, but your quality of sleep is horrible. Yeah. Like it's not good, high quality sleep. Like you just can't get it when you have so much alcohol in your system. 100%. And people are, get misled by alcohol. They think that it's their friend because it reduces what's called sleep latency. Uh So it actually, it helps you get to bed quicker, but it it greatly reduces sleep quality. Yeah. So... Yeah, a lot of people, they think that, you know, the occasional nightcap is doing their, their body some sort of favor, but it's not because it's, it's reducing sleep quality. Yep, couldn't agree more. The last thing I have for you is actually coffee. And I thought of it as we were talking about alcohol because I feel like, you know, that there's also a lot of kind of back and forth around coffee. Do you drink coffee? Yeah, I do. I mean, I try to take breaks from it occasionally, but right now I'm, I'm on it. And, yeah. uh, and I, love co- I love coffee and I also very much... Uh, you know, distinctly remember like the times when I'm like off coffee and how much I love being off coffee as well. So it's, you know, it's another one of these things that you just have to kind of like forge your own relationship with. I think it's really important that people realize that coffee is a drug and to treat it as such. But no, I love coffee. And the and the research on coffee is actually really positive. Like yeah. people who drink coffee seem to be protected from cardiovascular disease, from Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis. So there's all these benefits associated with with coffee drinking, but it is a it is a stressor, you know. So if you're the kind of person who has chronic 
psychological stress and you're fasting regularly and you're regularly doing really high intensity exercise, you just kind of have to be mindful of all of those different variables, which can tip the cup over, right? And lead to, lead to burnout. But in general, yeah, I'm a huge fan of coffee. I drink it, uh, these days with heavy cream. I'm a big fan of heavy cream, which I think is like this incredible, uh, underappreciated coffee additive. Again, we're being pushed towards these like plant-based creamers and things like that. But I think heavy cream is like the ultimate coffee creamer. It's got all these like beneficial micronutrients in it. There's no protein. It's just pure fat. So it's like not going to, you know, spike your insulin or technically, you know, break your fast by elevating some of these like protein sensitive pathways in the body. So then on that note, how do you feel about Bulletproof Coffee then? That's a good question. I think it's, how do I feel about it? I'm actually speaking at the Bulletproof, or not that it's no longer called the Bulletproof uh, Conference. It's called the Biohacking Conference. Uh And I like Dave. I think Bulletproof Coffee is delicious. However, I don't think that, I think that butter for me is more of a YOLO food. And I feel, I've changed my perspective on it. Yeah, why is that? Yeah, because butter is one of these foods that what ha- basically like, so as I mentioned, dairy is percentage-wise, it's got the highest proportion of saturated fat of any other natural fat-containing food, right? So you'd think that consumption of dairy, right, is, would be associated with worse cardiovascular health, right? If saturated fat is so bad and dairy has like the highest percentage. Mm-hmm. But actually, paradoxically, People who consume more full-fat dairy have better cardiovascular health, have better metabolic health. So dairy fat seems to be this like fantastically healthful fat, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why it's been proposed that dairy fat is so good for us is because the dairy triglycerides are encapsulated in this bubble called milk fat globule membrane, which is a mouthful, but it affects essentially how we metabolize yep. those fats, mm-hmm. right? Butter, in the process of making butter, that membrane is disrupted. And so you don't get the milk fat globule membrane in butter. And so for this reason, you see they've done clinical trials where they've fed people both heavy cream Uh and butter, which butter comes from heavy cream, right? It's just churned cream. And what they see is uh, the butter leads to an adverse effect on blood lipids like LDL cholesterol, whereas cream doesn't. So I'm not saying that that's reason to never eat butter again. But, you know, it's one of those foods that's like, it's actually butter's a man-made creation, right? Like nature makes dairy and like, actually it also ferments dairy mm-hmm. um, and gives us things like cheese and uh, and the like. But butter is something that we make. And I think that the research on butter is actually, butter is like this unique source of dairy fat that might not actually be as good for us. And so I, now it's like one of those like YOLO foods for me that I eat in moderation and it's still super tasty. I'm not saying that we need to like go home and throw out our butter. But I'm a huge fan of dairy fat with the exception of, uh, or not with the exception, but with the sort of caveat that butter is a little bit different from your run-of-the-mill dairy fat. Maybe I'm going to try and make my bulletproof coffee with cream and MCT oil now. Yeah, well, the other thing, (laughs) well, here's the thing. So butter, the part of the reason why cream, you pour cream into coffee and it disperses perfectly Mm -hmm. is because of that membrane, because of the milk fat globule membrane. Butter, if you put butter in coffee, it sits at the top and you Mm -hmm. have to blend it to make Mm -hmm. bulletproof coffee, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's because the milk fat globule membrane, which is this, essentially it's a lipoprotein that keeps the fats in dairy suspended in water, right? Because think about like blood, right? Blood and milk are kind of similar in the sense that both are mostly water, Mm -hmm. but then you've got these fats, Mm -hmm. right? Both Mm -hmm. in blood and in milk that stay perfectly suspended, right? Are completely and effortlessly dissolved within that like mostly aqueous medium. 
because in our blood we have what are called lipoproteins that that send around triglycerides and cholesterol and things like that. So it doesn't look like, you know, you don't have like oil rising to the top, right? Same thing with dairy. You've got this lipoprotein, which is called milk fat globule membrane. But when you disrupt it, then you get butter. And so that's why the butter sits at the top. And I think heavy cream is just, you know, it's more convenient. You just pour it in your coffee and you I stir it. I actually don't think I've ever put heavy cream in coffee. Try it. Like, I know that it's like a thing, but I just never did it because I'm usually like an Americano girl or like a Bulletproof. That's like the most I'll do with my coffee. But now I'm going to try the heavy cream thing. It's kind of sold me on it. It hits different. It's good. Yeah, <laughs> it's tasty. It like, it kind of has like a little bit of like an ice cream vibe. Okay, okay, what? Um, okay, I'm doing this tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. I love heavy cream. It's better than, I mean, half and half is half heavy cream and half uh, whole milk. Mm -hmm. So it's basically just like a watered down version of heavy cream, of, uh, yeah, of heavy cream. So if you want to like go for the full experience, just go buy heavy whipping cream. Okay, I'm doing this tomorrow. Yeah, it's bomb. Okay, cool. So before we wrap, I want to do a quick rapid fire. Okay, down. So first question, what is a habit that's a non-negotiable for you? Man, a habit that's a non-negotiable for me. I like to take my time waking up. Some people are just like up and at them, like super early morning workouts. Not for me. I like to like check my email, drink my coffee, roll around with my cat. <laughs> so yeah, I like my sort of like my, my current morning ritual. There. What is one book that changed your life? And you can't say yours, Max. No. <laughs> Mine definitely changed my life. Uh Man, a book that changed my life. I mean, I, I think Sapiens was one of them, certainly. Sapiens was just a beautifully written book about our sort of evolution and how we came to be homo sapiens. Yeah, well-written, super witty, lots of like interesting takeaways. I got to read it. I think you're the second person who's given me that answer, so I feel like I need to read that book. It's pretty good. That's what I hear. I'm sure there are others, but like that just like off the top of my head for some reason. Okay, I got to read it. Yeah. If someone could start doing just one thing for their health today, what what would it be? Or what should it be rather? Hmm. Well, it depends where you're at in your health. Like, for example, if you... There's okay, like, let's, do, let's do three levels. Okay, three okay. levels. Well... N novice. Novice. Like they are just... They're well, the mac and cheese eaters yeah. for dinner. Well, let's say... Okay, so level one would be like if you smoke, which is I think one of the worst things that you can do, cigarettes, mm -hmm. quit smoking. Nothing that you do for your health is going to be as beneficial by a long shot as quitting smoking. Mm -hmm. So quit smoking if you smoke. The next level would be if you are uh, obese. Nothing that you do for your health, no supplement that you take is going to be as beneficial for your health as getting to a normal healthy weight. So that's level two. Level three would be exercise. If you're currently sedentary, I mean, I love to talk about nutrition. I'll talk about nutrition all day to the cows come home. And there are many ways up this sort of nutritional mountain, so to speak, to get to whatever whatever the goal is that you want. But if you're currently sedentary, uh, exercise is medicine for every organ system. It's like, you know, some of the way the way that drugs work, for example, pharmaceutical drugs, it's like taking it's a, taking like a single molecule to a single problem. That's like how Western medicine works, right? Exercise is like taking a shotgun to your problems. Because it just affects all these different everything. pathways. Everything. Everything. It's crazy. Yeah. Like it, it's really, really impactful. Okay. So that's level three. Do we have a level four? Level four. Like extra credit. Extra credit. I would say if you're currently on a vegan diet. Oh my God. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. At least like eat eggs a couple times a week. <laughs> Please. For the love of you, for the sake of your health and everybody around you. Oh my God. Okay, Max, <laughs> this has been a pleasure. Tell everyone where they can find you. 
So I'm super active on Instagram at Max Lugavere, M-A-X-L-U-G-A-V-E-R-E. And then I host my own podcast called The Genius Life. So it's come really over and good. Say what's up. Thank you. And your books. My last book just came out. It was called Genius Kitchen. Highly recommend that. It's a it's like a two-part book. It's a wellness guide as well as cookbook. And we've got like beautiful photography in it. And then I, you know, I have three books out now. So I would say Genius Kitchen or my first book, Genius Foods, are two, you know, you can't go wrong starting with either of those books. Awesome. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people, learn and unlearn, and have a lot of fun. See you next week. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.